church on Monday night. It really is. I am so glad that you're here tonight. It'd be hard to do this if you weren't. Yeah, some of you will think about that for a little while. But glad that you're here tonight and trust you'll be back on tomorrow and Wednesday. And uh, we'll just have a wonderful time together in the house of God. Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and open it up to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. And if you're able to stand easily, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God tonight? 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. And I'll begin reading in verse number 9 and read just a few of these verses and then we'll go from there tonight. It says this, For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good day you've given to us today. Lord, thank you for the good time together already tonight. We just ask now that you'd put out of our mind all the things we have to do tonight and tomorrow and help us to just focus on what your spirit has to say to us. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. I think that's a good motto just for life in general. Amen. Just don't be ignorant. But we find out here, look if you would in in verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Did you ever see somebody, well, that was ignorant? I mean, don't look at anybody. Don't elbow anybody. Wives, don't do that to your husband. All right. Did you ever see somebody like that? Now, uh, we, have a, we have a home in Franklin, Kentucky, and the folks there say it a little different. They kind of leave out one of the syllables. They say ignorant. It's not ignorant, it's ignorant. And that, that's just a good way to do it, because some folks are just ignorant. Amen? I, I, my wife says I have a warped sense of humor. I don't believe that. I, you know, I just... I just enjoy unique things. And she says, I have a warped sense of humor. But I occasionally like to watch those things. You know, you'll come across them where people are doing something and it fails in an epic manner. You know, it just all falls apart. And, and for some reason, that strikes me as humorous. I, I just I find that quite funny. And, and one of my favorites, one of my favorites was a guy that cut down a tree in his yard. And, and you know, somebody, probably his wife's out there video and the whole thing he's being manly and cutting down the tree and he cuts down the tree and it lands on the car you know it crushes the car that's ignorant amen you just, you just don't do that uh, one of my one of my other favorites had to do with the tree too is a guy had a ladder up on a tree he's trimming branches and he trims the tree he cuts it off below where the ladder is and the tree falls and the ladder goes and you know you just you just hope nobody died when the chainsaw landed but Obviously, they wouldn't have showed it if it did. You know, that's just part of that. Uh, that's, that's ignorant. You just don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, just a, a few months ago, I, I believe it was in Malaysia, if I'm not mistaken, there was a woman that went to the zoo and she stuck her hand in the orangutan cage. And the orangutan grabbed it. 
I mean, what else are you going to do when a hen comes in your cage? He grabs it, and they're strong, and it wouldn't let go. And she was there for forever, and, and he wasn't letting go. And, and they, they didn't know what they were going to do. Finally, she got away. Uh, you know I'm from Alaska, and, and there is a zoo in Alaska. Just one. Only one. It's called the Alaska Zoo. Because <laughs> it's the only one. And, and it's in Anchorage because that's where, you know, three-fourths of the population lives. And so there's the Alaska Zoo. Now, you can go to the Phoenix Zoo, and, and if you do that, you won't think much of the Alaska Zoo. The Alaska Zoo is not very big. It's rather small. You know, they have kind of an anemic-looking moose, and they have a, a beaver, you know, and a, and a muskrat. And, and, and then a few years ago, a few years ago, uh, a, uh, a polar bear cub was abandoned up on the North Slope. And so they got this polar bear cub, and they brought it back, and they raised it in the zoo, and they named it Binky. You can Google it. You can look up Binky the bear. Binky was famous. He's gone on to glory now, but Binky was famous. And, and he was the draw. I mean, people came from everywhere to see Binky the polar bear. They'd come to Alaska, they'd go to the zoo, and he was a huge source of income to this very day. You see something made in Alaska, and it'll have this little polar bear on it. That is Binky right there. That's him. He's famous. Now, the reason he got famous in Alaska was because one day a tourist jumped in the cage. And, you know, any place that has a large tourism industry, there's a love-hate relationship. You know, people want the tourists to come because they bring money, but they don't like the tourists and they want them to go away. You know what I mean? I'm sure you experience that in this area from time to time. And that's how it is in Alaska. We want the tourist dollars, but we want the tourists to go away. So when the tourists got in the cage and Binky decided to play with the tourists... <laughs> became a hero in Alaska. Everybody loved Binky because the, the last thing left in the cage was the shoe. She, she, left to t she escaped. She did escape. Uh, but the shoe was left, and Binky carried that shoe around for months. He carried that tennis shoe around in his mouth, and people went just to take pictures of Binky carrying the tourist tennis shoe, you know, and, and it was a big deal. Now, can I just say, going in the polar bear cage, that's ignorant. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's like the people that go to Yellowstone and think you can go pet buffalo. You know, you know, no, no, you can't. That's a wild animal that would just as soon kill you as look at you. That's ignorant. You don't do that. You just don't do it. We were, we were in Alaska and, and driving from Fairbanks. I think we were headed back down toward the Anchorage, Kenai area. And, and we saw cars stopped. Anytime you see cars stopped on the road, what that means is there's something out there to look at. And so we pulled up to see what it was, and there was this, this mother grizzly bear. Was it three cubs she had or two? Three cubs, year-old cubs, so they're huge. These are huge bears. And she would stand up, just stand right up on the edge of the road, and we were close enough we could see through the camera her nose. She sniffed And then she'd hear a car coming, and all four of them hide in the ditch. And the cars would zip on past, and we just kept watching. We got some great pictures, and we knew we were safe. Because there was a European tourist, way too close. And I said to Liz, she said, should we get out of the car? I said, sure, no problem. She's going to get him. All we have to do is get in the car while she's eating him and we're safe. Amen. And he was ignorant. I mean, he was way too close and he had his tripod all set up. And he's taking pictures way too close. Some things are just ignorant. 
you know, we have an enemy that is bent on our destruction. Day and night. And we already know what he does and how he works. And yet, many times, we act as if we are ignorant of how he's working. And we just allow him to do the same things over and over and over again. You see, the devil doesn't have to come up with new tactics and new tricks. Because the same ones that he's been using for thousands of years are still working very well. Because although we should not be, we are ignorant many times. And we just walk right back into the same trap over and over again. And here we're reminded that we need to be careful because Satan will take advantage and we are not ignorant of his devices. We know what he does. And I want to encourage you tonight to not be ignorant. You already know what he's going to do. So when you see it come up, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. The first thing that he does is that he lies. John chapter 8, verse number 44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You just mark it down. When the devil is talking to you, he's lying. Oh, he, he may mix some truth in there, just to make the lie more palatable, but he's always lying. He started right off with Eve in the garden and and she said, we're not to eat of this. And he said, ye shall not surely die. Now, she didn't die the moment she ate it. He mixed a little truth in there. But she started dying at that moment. And because of that, we all die. You see, he just just throws enough, enough truth in there so that the lie seems plausible and he will lie over and over and over again. He will try to tell you that God just wants to ruin your life and keep you from having any fun. (coughs) That to follow Christ means you're going to miss all the good things in life. Listen, I don't have to tell you, that's a lie. That's a lie. But he's been using it forever and we keep falling for it. We just fall for it over and over and over. And so he just keeps lying and just keeps saying it. Just last year, there was a big deal. And it was in all the, on all the news things and in all the social media. These two, this famous actor and actress. And they're, you know, they're splitting up. And, and she's suing him for this. And he's suing her for ruining his career. And back and forth. And they're going back and forth. And it's on all the papers. And I'm not even going to tell you their names because you already know who I'm talking about. Because it was everywhere. You couldn't miss it. It was, it was like the world thought it was important. And, and this garbage is just back and forth and back and forth. And, and they're given the gory details of their life and all this kind of stuff. And you know what we really learned through all of that? That these people who are multimillionaires and have homes all over the world and they have all of the earthly possessions and they have all the fame and they have all the awards and they have all the stuff and they're well known and loved and all the rest. You know what we learned in all that? They live like animals. I mean animals. Filthy, filthy, nasty lives is what they lived. And it all came out in court and the world's ooing and aahing and and the world says that's what you want. That's what you're supposed to be. Listen, that's the kind of stuff that you find in some seedy trailer park somewhere where nobody wants to live. And that's exactly the same thing they're doing in their mansions all over the place because that's all the devil has to offer. He's a liar. 
He says, that's what you want. No, that's, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And yet that's what he's selling over and over and over. And many times we're just ignorant. We think, well, that must be the thing to have. He's lying. He's a liar. Not only is he a liar, he's the accuser of the brethren. You see, in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, it says he's the accuser of our brethren and he's cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What what does Satan do? He accuses us to God. He tells God, listen closely now what I'm going to say. He tells God the truth about us. He goes to God and he says, I know what he did. Look look at what he did today. And you know what he would have done if nobody was watching? I'll tell you what he would have done because I know what he was thinking today. And I know what she said and I know what he thought and I know where she went and I know what he did. And he accuses us before God. He tells God the truth about us. And then he comes back to us. And he lies to us about God. He says, I just told God all about you. I told him what you did. And I told him what you would have done if nobody had been watching. And he's mad at you and you better stay away. That's a lie. Listen, uh, when, when everything's messed up in your life and you've done something stupid and you've, you've gone off the wrong direction, that is not the time to stay away from God. No, that's the time to run to God. That's the time to start moving the right direction and get in there close to God. And yet the devil wants to keep you away. So he'll come to you and say, God's mad at you. He doesn't want to hear from you. He's not interested in you. And it's a lie. It's all a lie. He accuses the brethren. He accuses us to God and God to us. And then he accuses us to each other. He does. We start to question each other's motives. Why did she say that today? When I came in this morning and she said hello, she didn't look right. And I think she was looking at my outfit or she was... You you know what's going on? The devil. He's just accusing that person to you. Well, I came to church yesterday and not a single soul shook my hand at the door. And well, who do you think brought that into your mind? That was the devil just doing what he does and being who he is. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to question the motives of everybody. He wants you to think everybody's out to get you. You know how he keeps a lot of people out of church? They do some stupid stuff and and they get their life in a mess. And then he tells them, you can't go back there because those people know what you did and they're going to be looking at you. You know what? Just the opposite is true. Especially if they know what you did, you know what's going to happen? They're going to be thrilled to death to see you walk back in that door. And they're just going to love all over you because they've been in the same spot somewhere along the line. But the devil says, oh, you can't go back there. Those people will judge you. No, they won't. They will love you. That's what God's people do. Amen. He's an accuser of the brethren. Listen, if you allow him to do that, don't be ignorant of his devices. You know he's going to do it. So when he does it, ignore him. Just ignore him. Don't don't assume the worst about your brother and sister in Christ. Don't do that. Otherwise, someday you're going to end up a bitter, angry person on Facebook in the IFB cult survivors website. (laughs) Can I just be honest with you? Those 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 folks. And I hope they're watching, at least some of them. Most of those folks 
grew up in good churches that taught them the Bible. And the problem is they never knew Christ. All they knew was the rules in their home and at church and the Christian school and whatever. And because they never really knew Christ, they had no basis for those rules. And so now they feel oppressed by having to live a certain way. What they desperately needed was to know Jesus. That's what they need. And that's what they still need. But they sit around and whine and complain because mom and dad took them to church every week. Because some Sunday school teacher insisted they learn Bible verses. Ruined their life. They had to learn Bible verses and they weren't allowed to run around to be drunk and immoral and all that. It just destroyed their life. Well, no, it was the best thing that ever happened to them. And somewhere along the line, they just never really got it. They never really understood. We don't do those things to get saved or stay saved or be saved. We do those things because we are saved and we love the God of heaven. But they never got that part. And so they end up bitter and angry. And Satan sees that as fertile as a fertile playground where he can go in and accuse. So all those are bad people and they did bad things and all. Listen, just he's a liar and he's the accuser of the brethren. Can I just can I just throw this in as a freebie? I, I know that sometimes bad things happen. I understand that. They should not happen in the house of God and they should not happen amongst Christians. But sometimes bad things happen because Christians are people who live in flesh. Let, let me just say this to you and please understand what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm going to give you something very helpful. You see a lot of people online throwing a bunch of stuff around and accusing churches of this and pastors of that and, you know, on and on and on. If there's a crime being committed in your house, I mean a crime. Someone's being beaten, someone's being molested. There's a crime occurring in your house. Don't call him. Are you listening to what I'm saying now? Don't be shocked. Call the police. Call the police. You get the the perpetrator of the crime. And by the way, press charges. Get the perpetrator of the crime hauled off and thrown in jail, then call him and say, Preacher, we got a problem. And then he can come and help you with trying to get your life in order and get things back together and show you from the Word of God what to do. Don't call him when the crime occurs and then blame him when the crime is not fixed. Did you get that? Don't do that. It's not his job. It's not. It's not his job to sit at your house and keep your husband from hitting you or keep your wife from smacking you with a frying pan or keep your you know, weird uncle from doing something to the kid. It's not his job to sit in your house and do that. God has ordained authority. He's ordained the home. He has ordained the church. He has ordained civil government. You can't miss that if you believe the Bible. And he has given civil government some very specific authority. It's for the rewarding of good and the punishment of evil. He has even given civil government the authority to do execution, capital punishment. It's an important office that God has ordained. So when there is a crime that occurs, I'm not talking about you have a disagreement with somebody over where your property line is. I'm talking about a crime has occurred. 
You call the authority God has ordained to deal with the crime and let them deal with the crime. And then you call the authority God has ordained to help you in your spiritual life and have him help you fix it all and put as much of it back together as you can when it's over. Did you get that? We have people all over the internet today and they're, they're accusing, you know, churches and pastors and all kinds of stuff just because a situation of some sort was not handled. When they never reported it to the police, they wouldn't press charges and then they're holding against the pastor because he didn't fix it. He can't fix it. It's not even his job to fix it. And Satan accuses. He said, it's his fault. It's that church's fault. It's those Christians. And they're the ones that, that allowed this terrible abuse to occur and this terrible thing. No, no, no. God has ordained an authority structure. And if you refuse to follow that structure, please don't accuse somebody who's not in that structure of not fixing your problem. Don't do that. It's not valid. It doesn't count. Amen? Amen. Don't come back later and accuse the pastor because you didn't handle something properly when it should have been handled. Again, he can't fix a crime in your home. He can't do that. And he shouldn't do that. The police do that. So when that happens, you have the bum hauled off, you have him thrown in jail, you press charges, and you take care of it the way it's supposed to be taken care of, and then you go to the Word of God and do your best to put your family together as best you can for the glory of God. Amen? Amen? I'm smiling at you. You can't get mad at me. I smile at you. Amen? Huh? We've seen it over and over and over. And, and in the last year, we've seen it. You know, the, it's the preacher's fault that, that my father beat my mother for years and the church didn't stop it. Pray tell, what is the church supposed to do? Station a deacon in the home to spend the night? I, uh, really, honestly, I'm not trying to be flippant. What do you expect them to do? It's not the church's job. It's not the pastor's job. And Satan knows it. And he'll use that to accuse so that you get bitter and you get angry and then, and then you're of no use to God. And, and, and he does so much destruction because even though we should know what he's up to, we fall into the same trap over and over and over. And we shouldn't be ignorant, amen? Not only does he accuse and, and lie, but he misapplies the word of God. It's one of his favorite tricks. He misapplies the word of God. He did it to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He's misapplying what God said. He's not saying it accurately. Listen, he even tried it on Jesus. And if he would try it on... Listen, Jesus is the one who wrote the book. And if Satan would pull scripture out of context and try to trick Jesus with it, what, what makes you think he wouldn't do that to you? He'd do that to you. He told Jesus to throw himself off the temple because in Psalms it says he'll give his angels charge over thee. It was a misapplication of scripture. And Jesus said, nope, not doing that. Not falling for that. You see, he does it all the time and it's one of his most common ploys today. It is. You'll hear preachers and teachers on the radio and they write books and they do all kinds of stuff and they, and they use scripture, but they twist it just a little bit. And you hear a lot of trite phrases, you know, like you'll hear people talking today about how they're free in Christ. 
And when people today talk about being free in Christ, usually what they're talking about is it's okay for me to drink and smoke and, and, and lie and cheat and look and act and sound like the world because I'm free in Christ and I'm saved. And, and because of that, everything's okay with God. That is a misapplication of Scripture. It's simply not true. You will not find that in the Word of God. Nowhere do you see that your salvation is licensed to sin. You see just the opposite. It is not licensed to sin. And yet that's how it's used so often in our world today. And they'll point to 1 Samuel 16, verse number 7, and say, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. You see, God doesn't care what the outside looks like. He's only concerned that you're sincere down in your heart. Problem is, that's not true. That's not even what the verse is about. I promise you, most people who would quote that portion of Scripture to you do not know where it is or what it's talking about. It's the, it's the occasion when Samuel has come to anoint a new king over Israel. And he's got all of Jesse's sons lined up, and they're all standing there except for one. And he starts at the beginning, and there's the oldest one, the biggest one, the strongest one, Eliab. And he's a warrior, and he's big, and he's tough. And, and Samuel says, this must be the one. You see, Samuel's just going on, uh, God said it's going to be one of these sons, and this one, this big, strong, leader-type guy, this guy looks like the last guy God picked, which was Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody, and he was strong, and he was a leader. And Samuel looked at Eliab and said, well, this has got to be the new one. That's got, and he's ready to anoint him king. And God has to talk to him out of heaven and say, stop, hold it right there. He said, I, I've already refused him. Amen. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. You know, he, say, he wasn't saying God doesn't care what the outside looks like as long as the inside's okay. He was saying the outside looks so good you even thought it was the will of God. But it was rotten on the inside. And it was not my will. It's just exactly the opposite of, way, of the way people use it today. You see, it's not that God doesn't care what's on the outside. It's that he spotted what was rotten on the inside, and it didn't matter how good it looked on the outside. Be careful. We're not, we're not ignorant. We know he does it. But we allow him to do it over and over and over again. Don't be ignorant. And then here's the last thing. He takes advantage of our weakness. Let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians. Look, if you would, in verse number 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. When he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, you know what that means? That means Satan is looking for an opportunity to get an advantage. And if he gets it, he'll take it. He will take it. He's looking for a place to take advantage of our weakness. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's just looking. He's just looking. And he's not looking for a strength. He's looking for a weakness. Listen, the devil most likely is not going to attack you in a spot where you're strong in your walk with God. He's going to attack you in a spot where you're weak. A spot that you've kind of left off to the side. A spot that hasn't been what it ought to be. That's where he's going to find the place and he's going to attack. I, when I was growing up, my, my, favorite, my favorite TV program was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. I loved Wild Kingdom. 
You know, it's a, a mutual of Omaha presents wild kingdom and the Indian head would come up. I don't think they can even do that anymore because you're supposed to pretend there's no Indians or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's bad to talk about Indians and we used to like them. Amen. And the Indian head would come up and they'd say mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. And then Marlon Perkins would come on. He was about 120 at that time. And, and he would be there, you know, in his safari uniform. And he would stand in his office and point to the map and tell you where the adventure was going to occur on that day. And then they'd go live on the scene to the savannah or the jungle or the Amazon. And, and there would be Jim, the sidekick, down there wrestling alligators and fighting water buffaloes. And, and, there he, and Marlon would be in the office pointing to the map. It was a good job. Marlon had a good job. <laughs> he lived to 150. Jim died at 30. There we are. I made that up. I, I don't know. How. And, and I, I loved it. I always loved animals. I loved animal shows. I loved all the animal stuff. And, and, and they'd always, sooner or later, you'd get to the, the, the antelope. You know, the herd of antelope is running across the savannah. And the, the lions are in hot pursuit. I mean, they are chasing them and they are running after them and they're going to get them. And you know what I learned? I learned that the lions don't care about the trophy buck at the front of the herd. Now, if we're going after an antelope in the herd, we want the one with the biggest antlers and the, the best mount. And no, 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 not lions. No, they couldn't care less about that stuff. You know what the lions are focused on? They're chasing and they're focused on whichever ones fall back. Uh, a weak one, maybe one that's a, a little bit lame, maybe one that's too small and can't quite keep up, uh, one that's got a problem of some sort and they fall back from the herd a little bit and all of a sudden the lions forget about all of those big juicy luscious antelope and you know what they do to that one scrawny little one that falls back, they pounce on it and listen, I, I was just going to tell you the truth, they start ripping it apart and eating it while it's still alive and it's laying there on the ground going, ah! And they're just chewing it up. Don't say you never learned anything in church. That's what the devil does. He's not looking for, for a big trophy. He's just looking for any weakness he can find. And as soon as you start to fall back a little bit, that's a weak spot. And he will pounce on that. It can happen at almost any point in your Christian life really can't. doesn't matter how long you've been saved or how long you've been in church. It doesn't really matter. It, it can be, you know, when the Spirit of God speaks to your heart about doing something, surrendering some area, and you refuse to do it. You know what happens? A little weak spot starts. Now that's a spot where Satan can attack. And he watches for those. Maybe, you know, the preachers talked about giving to missions or, or some kind of thing. And you said, you know, I just, I, I, I could do it, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, any place where you put the brakes on in your Christian life, there's a little soft spot starts. And if you don't get that fixed, it'll spread. And when Satan finds it, that's where he's going to attack you. You know, a lot of people have just dropped out of church altogether over money issues. They have. Because the stuff they want to buy has become more important than being in the house of God. And it usually starts back there when they say, well, I can't give to missions or I can't tithe or I can't do this or I can't do that. And they stop. And then they get to the place where Satan says, why don't you spend it on this or this or this? Next thing you know, every weekend they're out with the toys and they're gone. And 
it was a little soft spot, a little weakness. What's going on here in 2 Corinthians is an issue that is opening up a weakness on these people. You see, in 1 Corinthians, there was, a, there was a terrible mess that occurred in the church at Corinth. And what we find out is that uh, there was a guy there and he was involved in, a, in an awful, wicked, immoral relationship. And the Bible says that the, even, the, even the Gentiles wouldn't do. I mean, it's just bad news. And even worse than that, this is going on in the church. And they're, they're almost proud of the fact that they're so loving that they're allowing this to go on in the church. It's kind of like today, kind of like that kind of thing. And, and so God had the Apostle Paul write and say, hold it now. This ought not be in the house of God. You need to boot this, this guy out and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that he can get right one day. That's in 1 Corinthians. You get here to 2 Corinthians and this guy has come back. Now, that's the whole purpose of booting him out in the first place. It wasn't just to get rid of him and destroy him. It was so that he'd see what he'd done wrong. He'd get right with God. He'd come back. That's, God's all about restoration. Amen. And he comes back. And now put yourself in that situation. Somebody's done awful, wicked, horrible, immoral stuff. They've had to be you know, put out of the congregation. They get right. They come back. And, and the tendency is to kind of look at them a little sideways, you know. Let's just watch this guy for a little while. Let's just, you know, and, and, and some people couldn't bring themselves to forgive him and to move on in their, in their walk with God. And so this passage comes about. Look, if you would, uh, verse number eight. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He says, now, what you need to do is forgive him. And when you, when you forgive him, now he's repented, he's gotten right. When you forgive him, you can tell him that I have forgiven him as well. Because you've forgiven him on my behalf. And then, and then he says, because I have forgiven other people and told them you forgave them. I forgave them on your behalf. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of a fun little passage, amen. And, and so here we are, and that's the context where verse number 11 comes. Lest, if you, if you don't do this, if you don't forgive him, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. You know what he's saying? If, if you don't forgive him and get all this thing right, there's going to be strife in, in the church, and Satan is going to move in and take advantage and make a mess. Sometimes... A weak spot develops when there's a spirit of unforgiveness. You know, somebody did something and they hurt your feelings. And, and listen, that happens. It happens all the time. But you have to forgive. Can I just say more for your sake than for their sake? Because if you don't forgive, it opens up a little, a little place of spiritual weakness in your life. And Satan is going to see that. And when he sees that, he is going to pounce on you and try to destroy you. You, you have to forgive. You say, well, you know, people don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't know what they did, and they were wicked, and they don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, you're exactly right. I'm sure they are that wicked, and sure enough, they don't deserve to be forgiven. But just think with me for a minute. When you got saved, you know where we're going, don't you? 
and you came to God and you admitted to God that you were a sinner and you couldn't do a thing about it except throw yourself on the mercy of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and God said to you, okay, on that day, you are forgiven, right? That's what happened. All your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Did you deserve the forgiveness of God? No, you did not. What you deserved was hell. Why did he forgive you? Well, according to the Bible, he forgave you for Christ's sake. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you, God was willing to forgive you when you asked for forgiveness. Turn to Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Just like God forgave you when you came and told Him you were a sinner and you asked for His pardon, God forgave you for Jesus Christ's sake, he said, just like God forgave you, I want you to forgive other people. Okay. Well, all right. So they don't deserve it, but you're supposed to forgive them anyway. But, but you don't understand, if I forgive them, they will do it again. Probably, yeah. Most likely. They probably are that wicked. They probably are. Now, just think with me for a minute. That day you came and you got saved. And your sins were washed away. Do you think God was laboring under the delusion that you would never do it again? You may have told him you would never do it again, but do you think he knew better than that? Yeah, because you have. You've sinned since you got saved. You have. And so what happens? You, well, you get under conviction and you end up down at the altar and say, God, I, I blew it. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, please forgive me. And you know what God does? He says, you are forgiven. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin. That's the basis on which he forgives you. And, and then you go back to your seat and the next week you do exactly the same thing. I don't mean something like it. I mean you do the same thing again. And, and again, the Spirit of God gets all over you. You think, oh, I, I can't believe it. I, and you're down at the altar. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I've done it again. And Lord, please forgive me. And God says, you are forgiven. Why? Well, because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that sin. That's why. And you get up from there and go back to your seat. And a month later, now don't act like you've never done this. A month later, you do the same thing again. I'm not talking something like, I mean, you do the same thing again. You say the same thing again. You think the same thing again. You do the same action again. A month later, I mean, you had victory for three weeks in a row. And now a month later, boom, there you are again. And you're grieved and you're brokenhearted and you're down at the altar. Oh God, I did it again. Please forgive me. I know it was wrong. I know it was sin. And God says to you, sorry, buddy. Three strikes and you're out. Now you're going to hell. Now, if that were the case, not a one of us would still be saved here tonight. Would we? 
I mean, you can lie, but we know better. We, we'd all be in hell right now. But you know what God says that third time? <sighs> You're forgiven. Not because you deserve it. Not because I don't think you'll never do it again. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for that sin right there. So that's just license to sin. No, that's not license to sin. That's the wonderful love of our God right there. Based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Listen, if your salvation is based on something other than the blood of Jesus Christ, then you don't have Bible salvation. If your salvation is based on you being good enough to keep it, you desperately need to get saved. Because real salvation is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why God forgave you in the first place. That's what keeps you saved. Amen. What a wonderful God. And God says, not only do I want you to forgive people who don't deserve it, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. He forgave you when you didn't deserve it. And he forgave you when he knew you might well do it again. And God says, I want you to forgive just like that. Now, please don't misunderstand. Forgiveness does not mean making yourself a doormat for wicked people. Do you understand that? There's sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation and, and you can't be with that person or around that person. But for your own sake and for the sake of your spiritual life and everybody around you, you still have to forgive. Otherwise, it'll destroy you because it'll open up a weak spot and Satan will see it and he will come in and he will wreak havoc in your life. And it will spread not just through your life, but everybody else. It'll affect everybody around you. See, he's looking for an opportunity to take advantage. And when we allow bitterness to come in, when we allow unforgiveness to come in, when we respond wrong to suffering in our lives, those are areas where weakness begins to show. And Satan is just looking for that. He's walking around looking for it. And when he sees it, he will pounce on it and destroy the rest of your spiritual life. Now, we already know he does that, do we not? Let's not be ignorant. Listen, when we see him doing that stuff, when we hear him telling lies, ignore everything he has to say. When we hear him accusing somebody else and making you doubt why they did that today and why they said that yesterday, and just tell him to shut up and ignore him. He's accusing, and that's what he does. And when he tries to misapply scripture and, and tries to make you think your sin is okay because you found a verse you could twist out of context and... Don't listen to him. He's been doing that for a long time. And then when he sees an area of weakness, could we be wise enough to admit that area of weakness before he has a chance to attack and come to God and say, God, I got this thing. It's just a little thing right now. But God, I need some help with this so that it doesn't grow and make me a target for the devil. Because I promise you, Satan wants nothing more than to infect one or more of you so that he can destroy this work here. It's true in every church everywhere. And it does, Satan doesn't just come in and destroy a church. He finds somebody with a weak spot. And then he begins to attack there and it begins to spread. And then the next thing you know, he can destroy the whole work of God. We already know what he's up to. Let's not be ignorant. Amen. If you got one of those little tiny soft spots, Maybe it's just a little bit of unforgiveness. Maybe it's just a little bit of bitterness or just some little thing in there. 
Why don't you get that fixed tonight? Have God get rid of that tonight. And that way you won't be liable to be attacked tomorrow. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Lord, thank you for reminding us in your word that we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. We already know what he's up to. We know what he wants to do. God, help us to not let him do it. Lord, help us to find those areas in our life tonight that are potential areas of attack. Maybe it's, maybe it's some attitude. Maybe it is bitterness or unforgiveness. Or, Lord, maybe it's some habit that keeps coming back into our lives or some weakness where we fall into something repeatedly. God, tonight I pray that you'd help us to see it and to admit it for what it is and get it right tonight so that we're not susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Lord, when the lies come and the accusations come, help us to know better than to listen. We'll just thank you for all that you do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.